Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I've had some terrific guests recently, in fact, forever, and we're going to have another wonderful story from a brave soul today. Appreciate all that you're doing to share the podcast with others, um, to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, and that helps connect others with it. This is a podcast you can't donate to, but best thing you can do is just what you're doing, sharing with others. And also leaving a review at Apple for the podcast. I'm grateful to have um, one of my former YSAs. As some of you know, I I served in a YSA ward in a bishopric, and one of our YSAs um, and I have reconnected, and she's willing to share her brave story. Welcome to the podcast, Emily Wood. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. And I'll I'll read um, a little bit of the message I got from Emily. Um. For a few years, I wasn't active in the church, but I still felt it was true. But my pain got in the way of me connecting with God. I've gone through a lot of things since then. I learned how to really trust in the Lord, learned how to work through pain, and I've gained a lot of understanding. Since then, I fully embraced the gospel and have been blessed to do a lot of things in my life. I believe that part of why I'm experiencing things is to help others. This world is so insane, and it's so hard finding connection with God when there's so much pain. And then we talked about being in the podcast, and I read that um, note from Emily. I got a big smile on my face. Um, just recognize she's working through complicated things, um, is, is back attending church, even though she always believed in the church, and sort of talking about this pain she's experienced. There's so much pain in the world, listeners. That's not sin-related pain, but still the role of the atonement and the role of therapists and the role of time to heal that pain can be really helpful. So Emily's going to talk about that. Emily is um, 29. She's a business owner. Um, She owns a small business that is a coaching business. We'll link to her business in the show notes. It's called Grow with Zoella, Z-O-E-L-L-A dot com. Emily is going to talk about um, Germany. Germany is going to be part of the story. She spent three different times in Germany. Once as Germany, once as an exchange student, once as a nanny, and then once as, as serving a mission. And um, Emily's just a wonderfully wonderful woman. I was impressed with her in our YSA assignment. Some of the words I describe um, for her um, would be brave and strong and courageous and unique and work through really difficult things. Um, And I recognize a lot of us work through difficult things. So I think it's really courageous of you to share that with our listeners. And I think our prayer listeners, if you felt pain in your life and trauma, um, some of that can be connected with the church, but some of that um, is outside of the church. Just how to work through that. And why would a loving God allow these difficult things to happen? And so um, that's kind of my introduction. How does that sound, Emily? sounds perfect so you're really brave i'll just kind of turn it to you to share your story (laughs) awesome so i'll start with my exchange year that was my first experience in germany and that started um from when i was 16 years old i up until 16 and going on this exchange year i was i was pretty shy i um had a really hard time connecting with people i was very um i just kept to myself um, I would not describe myself as brave at that point. Um, but uh, I found out about the scholarship to Germany um, and it was all paid for. I could go live with a host family, experience what it would be like um, to live in Germany and go to school and learn the language. And for some reason, I just felt drawn to this. It felt, I don't know, it was it was something I had never really experienced before. And I remember taking the information to my parents and they were, they have, they've always been extremely supportive and they were very supportive, but I found out years later, they were very hesitant. They're going, what is she doing? Why does she want to go do this? And, um, but they, they helped me. We filled it out. They went, talked to parents and it all worked out and I was able to go. And from someone being very shy to then going on this crazy long adventure where I was away from family, I was away from my comfort zone. It it really pushed me to rely on God. And the very first experience that I had 
that really showed me that God was, was there for me, um, came after a month of being there. So for the first month, um, all of the exchange students, we were at this monastery where we were learning German and kind of preparing ourselves for this year with our host families. And so at this point, it's just a whole bunch of American kids with some German instructors. And then after that month, they basically handed us our, our train tickets to get us to different parts of the country. And you know, took us to the train site station and said, Hey, great. Have your, have fun, have your adventure. So here I am at 16. I've never navigated, um, through public transportation on my own. And I've got two big suitcases and I'm 16 years old and I barely speak a couple words of German. <laughs> and, um, I had, had been told up until that point that German trains were very reliable, um, which is completely um, wrong. <laughs> they are not. <laughs> um, and I got, I followed my ticket to basically the last leg of, um, my trip. And I was looking at the station. They, I was listening for it. They weren't annou announcing the stations anymore. And I just looked at the time and I'm like, well, uh, this is the time. So I hope it's the right spot. And I get off. And again, I've got my two big suitcases and I'm looking around and there's no host family. <laughs> and this is, this is back in 2010. And I've, you know, I don't, cell phones are a thing, but I'm not really like, I don't really have one. I'm just 16 years old. So I'm like, I don't really know how to contact them. I've only talked to them once. <laughs> I don't really know what to expect. And so I, um, I really didn't know what to do and I didn't see a ton of people around. And so I just, I was crying and I sat down on a bench and I just said a prayer and I'm like, okay, Heavenly Father, um, I don't know what to do. I, I really need some help. So please just send me somebody who looks friendly, <laughs> who speaks English and who can help me find my host parents. And then um, I got up and I kind of left the little area, um, found this little kiosk and was just kind of looking around and this, this guy who's probably in his 20s just came out. And in perfect English, don't know how he, I guess I must've looked American. He just said, Hey, are you okay? Do you need any help? And I was, I was immediately just so relieved. And, um, he, I said, yes, I gave him the information that I had. He contacted my host parents and they drove and they picked me up and everything worked out. And it was, it was great. And it wasn't until that evening that I, I realized I'm like, Heavenly Father answered my prayer exactly as I asked, like exactly as I needed. Like it worked out perfectly. And so that was kind of the beginning of me learning to trust God, especially with travel. I have, I have a bunch of stories like that where I've been lost or, you know, different things have happened and um, God has worked through people and has helped me. Um, so I did my exchange year. It was, it was a great experience. It was extremely hard in a lot of ways, but also extremely rewarding. And so, um, that was my junior year of high school. When I came home, um, from that, I was, I was, you know, I was in my senior year of high school and I was having a hard time still connecting. I felt, I don't know, I felt like I had gained so much and I just, it felt like life was so much bigger and I was just having a really hard time connecting with people and feeling like they understood me or, and I understood them. So I decided to just finish up high school early. I talked to the school, got some packets and different things. And I finished up about six months early. I was just kind of ready to be done. And, um, so then at that point, um, I had this extra time and I've always felt really strongly in my heart that I was, that, be, that being a missionary was part of my life, part of what I was going to be doing. And, um, so I, I kind of felt like I'd already gotten that confirmation from God. So when I, I was praying and asking Heavenly Father, I'm like, okay, what do I need to do now? What's the next thing for me? And I got the distinct impression that I needed to prepare for a mission, which I thought was really strange because I was 18 and sisters couldn't serve till they were 21. <laughs> um, and uh, I had some people who kind of were trying to direct me in different paths. And I, I think I, you know, looking back at it, I wish I had kind of stuck more to what I recognized, what I knew, the revelation I received. But 
I was 18 and still learning. So um, I decided to go in a different direction and I wanted to be, I don't know, I wanted to have another adventure. Um, I was like, okay, I could do school. I could do work. I could do different things. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I'd like to work, but I want to do something that would be fun and interesting. So I found out about um, this opportunity to be a nanny in Germany. And I'm like, well, how perfect would that be? You know, I could learn more of German. I could um, see it from a different perspective. This could be really, you know, really fun. And so I was going through the program and um, was talking with families. And I talked with one family and we had a good connection and everything. And then um, the program came back to me. And I was really surprised when they said this, but they said, they aren't interested in you because of your religion. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> that's all right. And then um, they came back again later and said, actually, they've decided that they would really like you. Um, they said that they had the best experience talking with you. So I was like, okay, I understand that not everyone um, gets different religions. You know, I, I've been in Germany, I know the culture, I think it'll be okay. So I agreed to go, but um, as soon as I got there, as soon as I got into the airport, um, and seeing them in person, I just got this really, really bad feeling. It did not, it was not the right thing. It was not right for me to be there and, um, didn't really know what to do with it. So we just kind of went through the motions and, um, first couple of days were kind of all right. Um, but then um, I took the two kids out. They were yeah, there's one who was really really young, um, and then one who's a little bit older. was about twelve years old, and we went to the park. And the twelve year old had a had a bunch of questions about American um, culture and politics and different things. And so um, knowing knowing to keep it pretty neutral because it's Germany, and I didn't want to you know influence anything, especially with what they've their concerns were about my religion and everything. I was steering clear of that. Um, but then that evening, um, the host parents got very mad at me because of, because I shared anything about, you know, American culture, American background. And they started accusing me of, of things that I, um, that I didn't do. They said I was there to be a Mormon missionary. Um, that, you know, I was there to indoctrinate their children and, um, none of it was true. The only thing that I said about my religion was that I wanted to go to church on Sundays and which I was totally fine too, because those were my days off. So, um, so what, what happened is they ended up locking me in a room for three days with minimal food and, um, they were, um, I knew I was in trouble and I quickly sent a message to one of my friends at home it was the middle of the night in the States. And I said, Hey, um, I need you to let my parents know what's going on. Um, cause I think they're going to be turning off the internet here soon. And I know it's the middle of the night, but I need you to go over there and just bang on the door until you get a hold of them. And so, um, my friend did, but I didn't get to hear what happened on that side because the internet was shut off and I wasn't able to, um, be in contact with anyone after that point. And so after a little while, they decided that what they would do is they, they gave me this paper and said, I needed to sign that I was the one terminating the contract. And if they, if I agreed to do that, then they would, um, take me to the train station, um, with my stuff. And so being 18 and scared out of my mind, I decided to do that. And, um, so I did. And, uh, uh, um, it was, this experience has been one of the hardest for me because of, because, you know, the church has always, this gospel, this, um, this faith has always meant a lot to me and to be attacked just simply because I believed was something I didn't think I would ever experience. I knew that, you know, pioneers and different people had experienced this, but in our modern world, it just felt very strange to go through something like this. So, um, and, um, I was, I felt so raw, like it was just so 
much raw pain that I was going through. And I just felt like it was way too much. It was way too much for what I could handle. But again, um, God gave me a little tender mercy. I was at the train station and uh, I just said a prayer. And oh, I felt so emotionally, physically fatigued that I could just get out enough to say, send me an angel. That's all I need. Um, so um, that's what God gave me, this, little, this, this young woman. Um, in a lot of ways, she looked like a child. She was just beautiful and was just so kind. And she, um, she helped me get in contact with some of the people that I knew from um, my exchange year so that they could come, you know, take care of me and help pick me up. And um, she gave me some water. She didn't have any food. I hadn't eaten in a while and she um gave me some money and just listened to me for a little bit. Um which was was so great. So and then um after that I was with um a family in the city where I was an exchange student um who were members of the church and we tried to go to the embassy and talk about what happened. But basically they said at this point since I was out of there and with me signing that I was the one terminating the contract, there wasn't really anything else to be done. So at that point, I just went home and um, I just, I started working and I just tried to jump back into things. And it, it was so hard. <laughs> it was so hard for me to try to just do normal things. And it was really hard because no one really understood what I had just gone through. I felt like a lot of people downplayed it. Um, and maybe in some ways it was for the, their self, you know, for themselves just to kind of cope with it. It was easier to downplay it or just kind of ignore it than to really acknowledge it. So that was difficult. So at this point, I'm just, um, I haven't learned how to deal with this. So I'm just pushing it down, just doing my thing. And um, then, um, <laughs> general conference comes around and it's October and, um, and it's announced that the age change is happening <laughs> and I am three months away from turning 19 years old. So that means that I can put my papers in. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to put my papers in because <laughs> I knew that, that was part of my plan. Um, and I remember writing, writing up the papers and they'd asked like, um, places where you'd lived before, languages that you speak. And um, um, I think they may, they may have even had a section or something where it was like, you know, places like there, or maybe something like, is there anything else that we need to know? And part of me wanted to put, you know, that I'd had this bad experience in this place, but something kind of held, held that back. For some reason I didn't, I didn't want to put that. And so I just left it blank. And then, um, you know, you know how God works. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's this crazy irony of stuff, but it all makes sense in the end. Um, the place where I got called was Frankfurt, Germany. And it, and, um, the mission boundaries included the area where I had had this really bad experience. And at first I was not ready to, I wasn't ready to go. I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I am not doing this. Absolutely not. And luckily the bishop at the time was just like, you know what, let's just put this on the side and we're going to revisit it in a little while. And so during that time, um, I had some really good friends and just kind of was able to put it on the back burner a little bit. I had um, one guy I was dating at the time who I was able to connect with a lot and kind of understood the struggles I was going through, not necessarily directly, but just because he'd gone through pain himself. And then April conference came around and I, oh man, Emily Father's funny. Um, I just remember this push, this push to, to ask if it, you know, if I should be going. And I, I kind of knew that if I even thought about it, I knew I was going to come up with, I knew I was, I knew that I was going to know I needed to go. So I just, 
was like, okay, fine, fine. You want me to ask Heavenly Father? Like, if this is what it's happening, then um, then my boyfriend has to tell me that I need to go on a mission, which I feel like God does not work that way <laughs> a lot of the times. But for some reason this time, um, it's exactly what happened right after general conference. He turned to me and he's like, you know, I wonder if he should serve a mission. I wonder if that would be good for you. Like, my goodness. Okay, Heavenly Father, fine. <laughs> Let's go. And so, um, and then I was in the mission field by June. And um, just being back in Germany was a lot to handle. Um, I remember just being there and it was like, it, it was just hard. Because one, I, the last experience I'd had there, I was accused of being a Mormon missionary, which I came back exactly to do. <laughs> and in the place where this had happened. So, and it, for me, I've always, I, I've learned this over the years. My biggest fear in a lot of ways is um, disappointing or hurting people or people hating me or different, you know, different forms of that rejection from people. And this felt like, like the ultimate rejection in a lot of ways, because I, I've tied so much of my identity to the gospel, to being a daughter of God, to being a member of the church. And so it was like, I don't know how to handle this. Um, so then, um, there was a lot of tender mercy that came along the way. Um, I remember I was three months into the mission and, um, I remember praying and I just got the impression that I was going to be back in that area and was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go back to that area at some point. And, um, a couple more months passed and different things happened. I was in different areas. And then, um, I finally got the call to serve in that area. And I was really scared to go to that train station again. And just to have that first initial, um, facing of that, just, you know, it's just different levels. And, um, but another tender mercy that God gave me is that, um, a member was able, was able to drive me straight to the sister's apartment. And I worked with a great sister while I was there. She was very understanding. I was just like, Hey, I'm here to do the work. This is what I'm doing, but I might have some moments where I just need to breathe. I don't necessarily want to talk about it, but I'm going to need to breathe and I'm going to need to take it a little slower if we're in places I recognize or things like that. So she was really good to work with. Um, and then, uh, funny enough, it ended up being my longest area that I was there. <laughs> and the second to last day that I was there, I was sitting at a bus stop and I looked across the street and I saw that family. And immediately, all of the pain and the fear that I felt just came rushing in. And I just said a prayer. I'm like, Heavenly Father, like I've come this far and I can't get this out of my body. I can't get this fear and this pain out. Please help me. And I felt this just rush of peace and love. I, I can't even describe it. I just loved them. I looked at them and I loved them. And at that moment, I finally understood what the atonement of Jesus Christ was about. I had always pictured the atonement as something that, you know, took you back before the trauma happened. You know, it took you, it erased it, or it was just something you had to live with when you went through things. And then eventually at the end of life, you know, you get, you get healing, but in trusting God and moving forward, I realized that he met me at what I could do. And what I could do is trust him, even when it hurt, even when it was rough. And he gave me what I could never give myself. And it was this, just this gift of love. and. Um, of forgiveness. I forgave them. I loved them. I didn't hold anything against them. And since then, it's, it's something I've never, I've never felt bad about it. Like I've never felt 
anger towards them. I love them. And I'm sorry that whatever they went through brought them to the place where they were to do those things to me or to deal with whatever they're dealing with. But it just helps me to see how powerful the atonement of Jesus Christ is. So that was um, a big learning for me. Um, talk about, I've got some questions, but I feel like I'd just like to keep you sharing your story and then I'll give you, ask you some questions. You're really brave. This is a really powerful story. So you're doing a great job, Emily. Keep sharing. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, after all this, um, went home and, um, one of the things that, um, was difficult from a lot of this stuff is that I, I'd gone through some other traumatic experiences, which I won't go into detail, um, today, but, um, I realized in a lot of ways, like my mission kind of helped carry me in a lot of ways through those things. And I did experience the atonement of Jesus Christ in a very, very powerful way. Um, but there was other things inside of me that really needed healing. And, um, and I, um, again, my, one of my biggest fears is just people rejecting me and, um, fear of being hated. And, um, when I came home, I realized I, I started to create this, this inner voice of just these negative things that I've, that I'd heard from other people and from different experiences that had happened. And, um, so I, I started falling in this depression and I started rejecting myself in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of us do this when we've gone through difficult experiences where we're hurting and we're having a hard time that it's easier to reject ourselves first before other people reject us. Even if it's not a subconscious, you know, it's a conscious thought, it's a subconscious thought where we're going, okay, if I, if I decide I don't like me first, then maybe it'll be easier to handle me not liking me versus handling everyone else not liking me. So, um, I kind of fell into that and I, after having experienced such a, such a powerful experience of the atonement, I felt like, um, just, you know, the pain of the world just kind of got to me really hard. And I just was having such a hard time seeing where God was in my life. And I was hurting so much and it just didn't make sense. It was like, okay, I went through this mission. I went through this really hard thing and I have a break now, but the struggles were still there. Um, and so I went through this depression and was just wrestling with it, with these self-doubts. I went to therapy. Um, I tried to do different things, was trying to make friends and stuff, but I felt like my whole life was just going through the motions of living without really being present for the living and for this life that I had. And, um, I just kind of, I went through that for a few years and I'd always believed in God and in the gospel, but my pain was so present that it felt like my pain was there more than my God was there. And so, um, God just kind of took a back burner. He was on the back burner of my life for a little while. And, um, I focused a lot on work, um, the time I was working for UPS as an investigator and was focusing on that and doing a lot of work there. And, um, but I, and it seems like on the day to day, it was, it was better, but then I'd have these moments where I just break down and this kind of helped me realize that I needed, I needed some change. And though I wasn't really active in a lot of the gospel things, I just remember praying and asking for help and it, me on this journey where I was starting to learn more about um, the importance of feeling our feelings and learning more of the self-love and realizing that the atonement of Jesus Christ is there for us, even in our day-to-day. Not even, it doesn't have to just be these crazy big experiences like like the one I just shared. Um, God's for us in each day. And 
So I started learning about this. Um, and, you know, if you're familiar with the scriptures, we've heard the phrase um, about Laman and Lemuel in the book of Nephi, where it talks about they were past feeling, that they were no longer able to feel, essentially. And so it just helps me to realize, like, I, I haven't been able to feel the spirit because these other feelings are so heavy on my heart and heavy on everything. And I haven't really given myself space to feel them. So basically in a lot of ways, I look at it as, as my whole self was just full of these emotions and there was no way for me to feel anything else that the spirit was trying to feel because I couldn't feel anything else until these feelings that were just bottled up inside of me got their voice and were able to speak. So that's when I started doing, learning more about working through emotions and um, realizing how powerful they are. You know, we read about um, Jesus Christ and that Jesus wept. We read about um, um, how God talked to Enoch and how he told, um, how Enoch saw God weeping over his children. Um, if our God can weep, then we can weep too. We can cry and we can feel the things we're feeling. And so working through these feelings, I started to discover more of what was underneath there. And um, for a while there, I really thought that this whole experience that I went through was harder than what I could handle. But I realized that in some ways, maybe, yes, maybe it was harder than what I could handle, but it wasn't harder than what I could handle if I let God in my life. And that God saw more of me than I saw of me. And that a lot of ways, all of these things were clearing debris in me that I didn't see. And by clearing the debris, he was showing me my own strength and my own power and my own bravery. And um, so through a lot of that, I've learned, since then I've learned a lot about um, working through feelings, working through emotion. Um, learning how to develop self-love, learning more about the atonement. And it's been amazing because I've just kept it going. I've done trainings and different things, and now I'm helping people do the same. Um, <clears throat> every story is unique, Emily, that I hear, and I'm having flashbacks, just how much um, respect I have for you and the mature soul you are. Um, it's been, you know, I got my assignment ended seven years ago, so we probably haven't talked in six or seven years, except maybe by messenger for just chain saying hello. But you all were strong then, and you're even stronger now. And um, just some thoughts, listeners, as I'm hearing Emily's story. This is a great, even in a bishop's interview, you usually don't have this long to hear somebody's story and I wish um, every person could have this long with somebody to hear a story because lots of new thoughts come to my mind. The first thing is um, you use the term that people would sometimes downplay your trauma and maybe I would even do that listeners and I might even think and I hope we don't think this well it was, it was just a short term event you know sometimes we link trauma with length of time like well if this was like two months of this versus a sh it was a short period of time from when you entered that home to when you left that home and i'm not a therapist but my guess is we shouldn't link we shouldn't dismiss someone's trauma because of the time um <clears throat> and there's lots of examples of short-term um trauma sexual assault would be a good one <clears throat> And where that, from a time perspective, if it's a one-time sexual assault, isn't very long, but it can be life-changing. So even though your older self recognizes a short period of time, and but I think if we take you back to where you were at that age, not knowing how this is going to work out, the impact of, of going into this situation and then ending up on that train station... Um, listeners, it's we should just validate pain. People shouldn't have to prove their pain. And then I think they're more likely to process it within themselves and with others and get over it. So I think you did a remarkable job praying and doing everything you could to get out of there. It made total sense to sign that contract to get out of there. 
and then to be in a situation where God could help you at the train station. So it's really brave of you to share that because every time you're vulnerable like that, you're wondering how people can respond. They go, and you've probably heard all these responses that aren't very helpful. But I think when we hear more stories, we're able to understand how difficult that is and and not be Monday morning quarterback and say, well, you should have done this different or have you thought through this? It just happened and it wasn't your fault and you did nothing wrong here and um, you're just violated. And so um, I then, the, so fascinating to me that you are remembering you telling me this part of the story that you went back to Frankfurt and eventually got signed to this area. And it's just fascinating that Heavenly Father allowed you to see this family. And I hope everybody caught the love you had for this family and the grace you gave them that perhaps you just gave them grace. Um, And I don't quite, you know, and it happened the second day of your mission, the second to last day of being in that area for the longest time. And maybe that was good for you to know that you'd gone that whole time and then you saw them and you're out of the area. So you wouldn't have to wonder if you're going to keep seeing them. And so maybe that was God's hand in the whole process. Even though once an instant healing, you certainly have taught us grace the way you were traumatized, but gave them grace and saw them perhaps as heavenly parents see them. It didn't excuse what they did, didn't heal you, but it helps us to see. Then um, I think a lot with it. Go ahead. Um, yeah. I think a lot with it is that um, I think sometimes we try to muster that love from ourselves for people. And I don't think that we should be doing that necessarily. I think that the person that we need to give love to first is ourselves and to our God. And then he's the one who provides the healing. He's the one who provides the love that we can't muster. I think of um, Corrie Ten Boom and her experience after the Holocaust for those that are familiar with it, um, went through a very difficult time and, um, was in the camps. And then at the end of the war, she was speaking about forgiveness and saw one of the soldiers who had hurt her and, um, her family. And he had asked for forgiveness and she had said a prayer in her heart and, um, he had extended his hand and she just said a quick prayer in her heart and just like, Hey God, I can extend the hand. You provide the feeling. And that's when God provided the feeling to her and was very much in a lot of ways. Um, my experience and that I couldn't, I couldn't get rid of the fear in my body. I couldn't deal with what I was dealing with, but I had trusted God and I'd followed him as far as I could. I extended the hand essentially just as Corey Tendum did. And God was the one who provided the feeling. And I think when we recognize that it's not all on our shoulders to fix it, to change what we feel or anything like that. A lot of our responsibility is just to take a step forward and to keep trusting and keep having hope that we're going to get that healing. It's really good. And I, you know, and that has to, I think not everybody's ready for that. Um, so I think Emily would probably advise this too, is if you're not in a place where you're sort of healed enough to be able to do that, don't be hard on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a really good conference talk about um, farmers in Europe growing potatoes for Germans that were starving. <laughs> I think it's Elder Renlund that gave that talk, but I'm not positive. It was one of the 12 and how healing that was, but how difficult that was. And so the, I love the example you gave and also your own personal story, um, because I think that's helpful. Then I'm, it's, you would think, listeners, one of the things that I hope you're picking up, that I'm picking up, is even though you had that really tender experience at the train station, and that's the same train station. I love the beginning of that where you went to the same train station. Talk about walking the jaws of trauma. <laughs> Holy cow, I wonder what your heart rate was then, um, mm-hmm. which would be normal because you were traumatized mm-hmm. and for that member family to whisk you away. But then um, I think, you know, I'm lis- listening and you were not at the finish line to being healed. No. And I kind of write, I, the therapist taught me the iceberg concept. And so I, as you were talking about this, I put an iceberg and I put trauma, unhealed trauma at the bottom of your iceberg. And I, I put at the top of the iceberg, the stuff we see above the iceberg, not attending church. And I, 
And I'm glad you linked those two. <laughs> and the way and the stuff between the bottom of the iceberg and coming back to church wasn't kind of the normal things we'd give to people to come back to church, like, well, read, pray, and some of the normal things you had to, because the bottom of the iceberg was not a testimony issue or a lack of motivation issue or some of the other reasons we don't attend church. It was just trauma and pain and and feeling connection and that not having been healed that you figured out, you know, and you've talked about sort of the space between not attending church and trauma. And some of that was Christ and the atonement, but a lot of that was therapy under the umbrella of understanding your feelings, the importance of self-love, um, clearing the debris, which was a great phrase you used, um, and how that allowed you. And you may not be to the finish line on this trauma being healed, um, but I love the way you went there. <laughs> um, and that's scary to do sometimes, listeners, to get to the bottom of our icebergs and figure out what trauma is down there we haven't sort of fully addressed. Because then it's a little scary about letting that out of the bottom of the iceberg or letting it sort of be present. But sometimes that's the path to long-term healing. And in this case, it was the path for you who never lost your testimony to then again attend church. And so that's that's something we don't teach as well in church. And that's why your story is really powerful. I, I, did, I have more skills in this space than I did when I was in the YSA bishopric, you know, to and so I'm grateful for your story. More thoughts on just what I've sh- said. Are you okay with that? Anything to add or yeah. clarify? I, yeah, I think a lot with our um, our feelings is our feelings and thoughts. Kind of, we we think that we we bundle them up. And I know at times that I thought um, because my feelings were so intense that my thoughts with them were the truth. But the thing is, is that our thoughts are not necessarily the truth of things, but our feelings are real and our feelings need to be felt. And so at the the time of my, of of going through that, I believed, I kind of internalized this thought that, oh, I must be a bad person. You know, these people are, you know, they're rejecting me. I, you know, I must've done something wrong. And I, all my feelings were so present and I was just going through and just trying to understand going, what happened? Like, you know, did I do this wrong? How could I have done that? I was just going back through trying to fix it. And I, think a lot of times we have to just separate um, ourselves from our thoughts a little bit and just go, okay, just because I'm thinking these things does not mean they're true, but what I'm feeling is very true and is very real. And so in order for me to find the truth, I need to feel this pain first. And by feeling the pain and allowing space for that pain to be felt, um, I was then able to understand more of the truth that I have value, that I have worth. And that, you know, these people did something, they were reacting, maybe I don't know what their story fully is, but I know my story and I know that I have value and I'm choosing to believe that and, and, and own that. So um, just listeners, if you're out there, like wherever you're out there and however you're, whatever you're dealing with, don't believe your thoughts. Not all of the thoughts that you have around trauma are, are the truth, but what me what it does mean is that you can feel your feelings and that your feelings are validated. I was very hurt at that time. And no matter what other people said, those feelings were still real. They were real in myself and my body. And it's okay to take it at the pace that you can handle it. Um, I was blessed in this story that um that God was able to help me take it pace by pace. If I had immediately had to go back through and face that right after that experience, I don't think I could have than what I what I did. I don't think I could have turned to God like I did. And I think it's okay to take it, like you were saying, um, Richard, that's okay to take it wherever we're at and realize that we are loved and that we have value and it's okay. We're okay. It's really good content. I'm glad you're doing your professional work in the coaching business. You've um people need the principles you're teaching, I think they're gospel-based principles, Emily. I don't think you're making anything up. I think probably a doctrinal and scriptural foundation for what you're teaching. It. Um, you separated something. I hope you, or our listeners got that, is feelings are okay. Um, suppressing feelings is probably not helpful. Um, and so addressing feelings, that those are, can be manifestations. I'm maybe overplaying bottom of the iceberg concept. <laughs> 
as a non-therapist, but feelings can be manifestations of what's in the bottom of the iceberg, and and suppressing those down may not be helpful to long-term feeling, but healing, but feelings, um, I think, can be normalized. Um, but then what you said is thoughts, especially negative thoughts about yourself, aren't productive. And we need to break the cycle of that. And you use the term rejection of myself. I thought that was very self-aware of since you've been traumatized, the ultimate rejection being locked up in a situation where you actually come to serve people and your heart there was to bless people, especially the kids or kid or kids you were taking care of. And then to be directed in such a violent way, um, that can cause um, the a protection maybe to re I'll reject myself because so no one else will reject me because I don't ever want to feel that again. Um, but then to get out of that cycle is very thoughtful. Um, so I love the way you talk about feelings being okay. Mm -hmm. And I think a big thing is that we, um, you know, especially if we hear other people and their stories, especially if they're, you know, they've gotten through big pieces of them. Um, when we're still in the midst of it, it's very easy to shame ourselves for not being somewhere else. And um, I just, I'd like to point out, at least that's what I found with my clients and with myself is I'm using the word should, there's probably shame there. <laughs> and we can never grow from a place of shame. We can only grow from a place of love and loving ourselves, even in our pain, even in our trauma is the only way we grow. And so. You are loved right now. You are amazing right now. Um, and it's amazing that you've been able to carry the things that you're carrying. And I think that the more we see ourselves with that and see others with that, um, it'll help to create more of this culture of love where we can love each other with where we're at. Because if we love each other with where we're at, it's the only way we grow. It's the only way we receive more love to keep us growing. I love that. Um... I wrote down that phrase, Emily, you can never grow from a place of shame. So as a parent, I wish I'd known more of that is that I'm going to do a better job of helping my kids grow from a place of love and support and nurturing versus negative shaming comments I could and probably did make. And um, local leaders, we can sometimes fall in the same trap of grow from a place of love. And so how we talk about people at church or even people that are having questions about our faith or people that are working through sin really can create a feeling of growth for people around us instead of a feeling of shame, which just makes them feel worse <laughs> for mm -hmm. the feelings or the thoughts they have. I do believe that God loves you now, Emily, and you've shared that a couple times in the podcast and thinks Satan is into shame. I think it's one of his greatest tools to separate us from the love of God. And um, if it's sin-related, we may think, well, I'm not worthy to talk to God because I'm messing up and I'll kind of work on this on my own. And then I'll be square with God and then I can talk to God again. And um, you didn't explicitly say this because this isn't a repentance story, but I, you're teaching it. And I would, God loves you now and he loves you on your best days and your worst days. And maybe it's even better to turn to him on your worst days, even when you don't feel like talking to God, um, for whatever reason, talk to God. Yes. Um, I don't Absolutely. believe his love is earned or transactional. It's just there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take commandment keeping off the table. But I think if you don't feel shame and you feel more connected to God, you're more likely to keep the commandments. So I really believe what you just shared. Yeah, absolutely. And like, um, I believe that 100% as well, that God is love and that we are loved. I mean, um, if you look at everything that God has done for us and um, that we have a savior, he didn't give it to someone who could be loved. He gave it to someone who he did love and he gave it not under the conditions of, okay, you know, like, um, I'm only going to offer this to those who are going to keep the commandments. He offered it to everybody. And yes, commandments is just a way of, of receiving that love. It's not a way of earning it. It's just allowing it to be present in our lives. And I think when we understand more of that, just we're just allowing God to be in our lives. He's already there. He's already willing and, and ready to be there. Um, the more we understand God. And even though this story isn't a repentance one, it still has transformed my relationship with God in understanding 
um, more of how he sees me, how he sees the people around me, because I was battling the shame. I was battling um, this feeling that I wasn't enough. Um, and I think when we realize that, again, shame is not of God. And if we're, if we're feeling shame, just trust that it's not God. And that's why it's even a better time. If you're feeling shame, just turn to God because he's the one who gives us love and helps us to feel more loved. And um, one of the things that I um, have learned and have helped me to understand better of why God loves us, even if we are making mistakes or, you know, sinning, the word sin um, is actually an archery term and it means to miss the mark. And so if we're feeling like we're falling a little short, it's okay. Like one of the, so one of the things that I do to remember is that we are conduits to God's light and sometimes be it sin or pain or anything, it's kind of debris in that conduit. And so when we turn to God, he helps to clear that conduit so we can feel that light. But that light is always streaming. That love is always streaming. That value for ourselves and what he sees in us is always streaming. It's just sometimes this debris gets in the way. I like the word debris. No one's ever used that on the podcast before. I think of, I'm a weather guy and I think of streams and I think <laughs> of debris in the streams and how it affects flow. And so that's a good word to describe sort of connecting with God and the debris. And a lot of that debris um, can be non-sin related and atonement and therapists and good um, sort of uh, meditation skills or mindfulness skills can help us there. I um a, a quote came to mind from a prior podcast guest. She said, "Worth is set; everything else is experience." And I like that concept that because just as our divine nature of spirit children of heavenly Father and a heavenly Mother, that our worth is set, and we should understand that as Latter Day Saints as well, or better than anybody else on the planet, and um. That doesn't take commandment keeping off the table or making progress in life, but it comes back to your point when we coming from a position of love and and identity and knowing what our identity is versus a position of shame, I think we're more likely to make decisions based on faith versus fear and not on shame. I I think the ultimate scripture non-shaming story is the prodigal son because it's the worst case scenario this is back to repentance but i think christ set that up as the worst case that people could relate to in his day um, the young man sold his inheritance that's pretty bad um, and then he lived a life of riotous living and so i'm um, kind of a worst case scenario he came unto himself and he said i'm going to be a sin i'm going to come back but i'll just be a servant i'm forever going to be different because of my mistakes and then that farmer in the field at daylight saw his son coming over the hill. And I think that farmer represents our heavenly parents or our savior, whoever we wanted to represent from the Godhood, but there was no shame involved in that and the ultimate chance for shame. And if that had been my own son and I'd been a father, I would give him the cold shoulder for a long time. Just natural man in me. Um, I don't know what I would have done. I would have been so disappointed in him and, the shaming tactics I would have invoked as his mortal father. I hate to even think about it, Emily, but um, there was no shame involved as that father ran through the field and he fell upon his son and he kissed him. And the son looked up and said, sort of like, why are you treating me this way? I've sinned against heaven and father and thee. And he put a robe on his finger and a, a ring on his finger and a robe that signified he'd come back as a son and forever answered the question when we've messed up. We come back as a as a servant or as a son or daughter. So the word shame doesn't appear in that parable. <laughs> um, but the principle is dramatically taught by um our Savior. And that's the way we should look at ourselves. And and so and so sometimes um trauma at the bottom of the iceberg can lead to bad sin-related things at the top of the iceberg. This isn't a repentance process, but sometimes. I learned as a YSA bishop that I had to sort of sit with somebody in whatever sin they were talking to me about and try to figure out just sort of the bottom of the iceberg, what's going on here. It didn't excuse the sin, but it helped give context. Sometimes sin is about numbing 
or escaping or, and it's still a sin, but not all sin at the top of the iceberg is the same. And I wrote about that in um, the chapter on repentance in my second book, Lesson, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture. So Emily teaches a principle here that I think scales. Um, Emily, this, I'm going to give you the last word here, but respect for where you are. You're still in your 20s. Yeah, it's your late 20s. I remember late 20s being, that's a lot older than early 20s, but you still have this whole life ahead of you and where you are and what you've learned is remarkable and it helps you, you know, I never wanted to feel like the YSAs have to get married. I always felt, in fact, I tried to teach this, that you should feel worth complete now unmarried, that your worth is not conditional on some future thing. Yeah, you'd probably love to be married and I would hope that for you, but I think this is me talking to all of you that aren't married is hope you feel complete now. Um, even as a single Latter-day Saint, and can work on things totally in your control. Um, but anyway, if you do get married and raise a family, which I hope will happen for you, um, or whoever you serve like you do as a in a professional business, and to be a business owner at 29 is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but my point is you are going to bring hope and healing to others because of the unique road you've walked. You're the wounded healer that we talk about in this podcast a lot. Jake Watts gave me this quote like five years ago, a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he or she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of the desert by someone who's never been there. And maybe, and Christ is the ultimate wounded healer for what he went through in mortality that he chose to go through could have changed his circumstances. A lot of us can't. And you couldn't in Germany in that situation. That was completely not your fault. Um, And so you're the wounded healer and you're a wounded healer at a young age. And um, that helps you um, for the people that have listened to this podcast, the people in your circle, the professional work. And if you become a wife and a mother with your own kids, the skills you have to understand what's really going on and to sort of under, to have, tools to help them feel worth now, no shame now. I think some of the greatest joys of your life are in your future when you recognize these really difficult experiences and the hard work you did to sort of get through them gives you a foundation that will forever bless so many people. And that's already happening. Um, Any last thoughts you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the things I've experienced, I know at the time, um, of going through them. I've, I've gone through a lot more than what we've shared today. Um, and for good reason too, we don't have that much time. And, um, but I, I found that, you know, when I was first going through them, I, I remember people telling me things like, Oh, you know, like you're going through stuff and you're going to be able to help somebody someday. And I remember hating that. I was like, why can we just not all go through it? (laughs) Let's just all not go through it. It's so much better. But, um, just understanding the atonement in my life and just understanding how much God really can help turn the things that are not good in our lives that are difficult, that are painful, but he can switch them and turn them for our good um, is something that I've learned so much. And even though there's, you know, some of the trials and struggles I've gone through and I've like had no money or I've gone through this trial or this trial or different things, it's like, at the end of it, I'm grateful because God is clearing more of that debris to show me how strong I am and just understanding more of our relationship with him, that he is a loving God, that he is doing all that he can for us. I mean, I, I know sometimes with our pain, we're like, this sucks. And, but then knowing that God is a perfect God and that if there was a better plan, it, that's the plan we would be living. This is the best plan. And that knowing that Christ, he went through it, like, like you're saying, Richard, like, not just that it's a nice thought that, okay, somebody knows what you went through. It's not like that. He knows exactly what you went through and not just to know it. He went through it so he could walk it with you. So he could carry you. Cause there's been moments where I'm like, I have no strength. I have no strength in me anymore. And he's the one that's carried me. So I think knowing that and 
being able to see how strong we really are, how amazing we really are in God, and that He's showing us that is is one of the most powerful things. And so I hope that all of you that are listening can feel a little bit more of that today, that you are powerful, you are strong, and that above all, you are valued and loved. That was terrific. Um, Thank you. And just a thought about this little period of time you didn't attend church. I would never invite somebody not to attend church. Um, But if we hear somebody that's not attending church, let's be kind to them. It may be part of their journey. Looking back, you may, this is delicate. (laughs) It may be, it may have been part of your plan to fully heal, to not attend church for a moment or two and sort of give you the space to get to the bottom of your iceberg and sort of reconstruct your relationship with the church. That would not be a formula that Emily or I are saying, take Emily's story and make it your story. Separate yourself from the church for a period of time. It's more of a point that if somebody that we love is not currently participating in the church, let's don't make shaming comments about them. Let's continue to love them and trust them. And I think we do best when we do that. This non-agenda, non-transactional love that Steve Young talks about in his book, The Law of Love, I think is the best thing we can do for people that we love, especially adult age, that have agency to make these decisions. Are you okay with that? Do you want to comment on that? Yeah, I think just keep, you know, the the scripture is talking about mourning with those who mourn. And, you know, the, the greatest commandment is to... Um, to love God and um, with all of our hearts and to love our neighbor as ourselves is the second. Like That's really where that healing and where Christ can be. So if you're trying to help someone to find Christ, then go and love them, mourn with them, do exactly what the scriptures say, because shame is not of God, fear is not of God. Thank you. Emily Wood, Richard Osler signing off. Just a great job, Emily. You are terrific. You're strong and brave and faithful and courageous, and you have a great life ahead of you. And you have helped a lot of people on this episode and and helped a lot of people in Germany and other service and will continue to help a lot of people. So we're signing off, listeners. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>